This week's special guest, Sean Thornton, talks about fighting his way to the top, a key component in a couple of Stanley Cup wins. Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show, coming up! Today's guest was born and raised in Oshawa. He played junior hockey for the Peterborough Peets. He was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. He played 705 games over 14 NHL seasons in the NHL with the Blackhawks, Ducks, Bruins, and Panthers. Racked up 1,103 minutes in penalties. He won the Stanley Cup in 2007 and 2011. He now works in the Florida Panthers front office. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome from Sunrise, Florida, Sean Thornton. Thornton. Sean, welcome to the program. Joe, how are you? Good to see you. I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better because you're on my show, and I finished reading your book last night. It was awesome. So we're going to talk about that right off the hop. He recently released a new book, Sean Thornton, Fighting My Way to the Hot Top. Absolutely loved it. Good pick, too, by the way. Very cool, Sean, how you uh, had all like, basically all the key figures in your career commenting on you and your leadership throughout the book, little little snippets here and there. You'd talk about something, and then they'd come on and talk about it, too. Patrice Bergeron, Zedania Cherup, Aaron, your wife, and, and, and a few others. And uh, I like the format. I like the style. And, and uh, the book was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't have... A... I don't love talking about myself, uh, so or being the center of attention. So when I read to finally do the book, uh, I wanted to make sure there's some other voices in there, so it didn't I didn't sprain my shoulder patting myself on the back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it turned out all right. Listen, we uh, we agreed to do it in January, uh, right before you know the world shut down in March. So the process was a little different than I expected. Uh, myself and Dale, Dale Arnold, we're going to spend a lot of time together, hot stove in Boston, Florida, Oshawa, Toronto, really get them to know the people that I grew up around, the people that I still talk to, people that are important in my pro career, and I uh, let the stories come out of that, but then the world shut down. So it ended up being about a year and a half phone conversation uh, with Dale and really trying to remember some key moments. And I, I had to reach out to other people to jog my memory. And with that, I was like, Hey, you want to be a part of the book? Uh, love to have you. So, uh, everyone volunteered their, their time and I, I'm very grateful for it. I just, uh, just shipped out all their books, uh, as a thank you. Well, there, there are a lot of, a lot of big names in that book, obviously. And your legend here in Oshawa, that's for sure. Well, we're in Newcastle now, but I, I, we spent 30 years, our, our family in Oshawa, uh, son of a steel worker, an Irish immigrant, now that steel work, you actually worked in 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 steel work. Was it Stelco, I believe? Uh, yeah, it was. Last yeah, or Stelco? Yeah, you, or, you know, I know what the name was at the time. Right. I, I was in there right, at the time. Yeah, my whole family, yeah, my dad, my, uncles, my grandfather, everybody worked in that mill. What is it? No, that hard work, uh, steel work. How did that help mold who you became and who you were, and and, and uh, what did that teach you working in the steel mill? Uh, before that even, I was in a graphic arts factory uh, that was ran by Quebec Corps in, in Scarborough uh, from the time I was 15 till I was 18, I think. I was working straight midnights, uh, two five-minute breaks, 15-minute lunch. That, that was the hardest work I had ever had to go through. And then the steel factory was more labor-intensive, uh, but you know, I was turning pro, so lifting steel bars all day wasn't hurting my, uh, hurting my development, that's for sure. Um, but you know what? I, my family's very blue collar. Oshawa's was very blue collar. I mean, how many people we grew up with uh, that were working even in the big city at the time, right? There wasn't too many white collar people in my uh, in my team growing up. Uh, so hard work's just instilled. It's part of our you know, DNA. Uh, I know I didn't want to go back to the steel mill or the graphic arts factory, and I was going to do whatever it took to, to make sure I got out of there. And uh, I was very fortunate that Toronto gave me a chance, and I ended up in St. John's, not down the East Coast League, and got to you know slowly grow my career to get to the NHL eventually. Well, you, you had some decent number numbers with the Peets, and, and you know, like a lot of people told you along the way that uh, 
a pro hockey career well, probably wasn't in the cards, but you know, you talked about that work ethic, you know, one thing you learned in the steel mill, I'm sure is that that's not where you want to spend your, the rest of your life. And, and uh, you know, you got a call from Bill Waters found it, finding out that uh, who was the least assistant GM at the time, finding out that you'd had been drafted by the Maple Leafs. And, and you were a little by a little surprised by that call. Tell us, uh, tell us about that call. Yeah, I was, I was golfing at, is it Pebblestone, I think, the, the nine-hole meeting yeah. course there in, in Curtis? Uh, yeah, yeah. I can tell the story in a little more detail because you you know the area. Uh, I was playing with a couple guys, Adam Armstrong, Charles Bosworth, and uh, we went back to my house to grab a case of beer. I had a case of blue in the basement. I was the only one that had beer at the house, and uh, the phone rang and we got there. Bill saying, hey, you've been drafted to Toronto Maple Leafs, and I thought it was a prank call. We were joking during the day, like, Hey, I could have got drafted today. Boz played junior in Guelph. He's like, I could have got drafted today too. We thought it was a big joke. And yeah, that happened. So uh, I pick up the phone. I politely told him to uh, go F himself. <laughs> I, call. I hung up the phone and my agent at the time, Rick Nines, called back and said, no, that was really Bill Waters. You just told the F off. So uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, I don't think I was the only one that had one of those uh instances back then right there's no cell phones there's no video you know picking up the yellow phone on the wall uh putting it to your ear at yeah five o'clock in the afternoon i'm sure i'm not the only one that had that, that, that uh... well of course yeah and i'm sure bill bill was told f off by a few different people along the way so it's, it's probably probably used to it so you're drafted by the lease at fifth round and, and uh uh you never get a chance to play for the lease unfortunately because that was your team growing up but uh, you did learn some lessons along the way, no doubt about that. And some people made an impression on you. One of those people was Wendell Clark. Tell us about the impression that Wendell made on you. Yeah, Wendell, uh, I mean, he was my, him and Proby were my two favorite hockey players uh, as I grew up. And I don't think Wendell's that much further ahead of me. But growing up in Oshawa with the Leafs, he was a uh, guy that scored 50 goals and uh, was fighting all the big boys. And just, you know, not that large of a man if you really get to know him, I think he's 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, probably walks around, used to walk around 190 to 195 pounds, but absolutely fearless in the way he played. And I really admired that. And then, you know, getting to meet him, getting to participate in his golf tournament a few times when I was just, uh, you know, cutting my teeth uh, into the pros with Chicago and Anaheim and uh, being able to have a beer with them. You know, anytime you can have a beer with a childhood idol, it's uh, pretty cool. And then, you know, Ty Domi is another one, uh, a little bit older than me you know, really respected the way that he was, same thing, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, fighting all the big boys, maybe not putting up the 50 that Wendell did. And unfortunately, I never got to put up 50. It was terrible at scoring goals. I was striving to be better. But, uh, you know, Ty took me under his wing when I was in St. John's and uh, living downtown Toronto in the off-seasons and training. And he, he had a profound impact on my career as well. I'm very lucky. Well, you mentioned, too, uh, Ty Domi, and, and, and uh, he gave you a nice little surprise gift. Tell us about that, because a lot of people don't, don't know what, just what kind of guy Ty is. Yeah, he. Uh, so I was playing in St. John's. I was making uh, probably league minimum in the minors, I think. It wasn't uh, definitely wasn't rolling in it, uh, but I was happy there. You know, it's uh, it's not the steel mill. You're playing professional hockey in a great city, great organization. Um, we went out one night, invited me for dinner, uh, went out for a couple, couple beers, and on the way out of the last pub we were in, he shoved his hand in my pocket and said. Uh, Take this home. Don't even look at it. When you, tomorrow, next day, whenever it is, you pay your bills. Uh, you're just like me when I was your age. You know, I see you running around doing whatever. Like you need to take care of your bills. And if you make the NHL or when you make the NHL, you, you can pay me back. So I, I went home. I pulled out the wad of cash that was in my pocket and showed it to my roommate, Hubie Hutton, at the time. It's like Ty just gave me this to pay my bills, and it was two thousand bucks. So I was like, wow, that's uh, that was a lot of money for me at the time. And uh, Ty said Mess did it for him when he got to New York and took me about nine years to be able to pay him back uh, when I was finally in my first year in Boston, uh, full-time NHL, or got to give him the cash back. Well, that was, that was really awesome. Really, I really read that story. That, that is such a class act by Ty, you know. And, and yeah, when I think about you and Ty and Wendell, I think about three of the toughest guys in the league, pound for pound, no question about it. You know, there, was, there were certainly bigger guys. You were talking about Proberg earlier, but, you know, you guys – always always showed up and that that's we're going to get into that a little bit in, in, in a bit but uh now the Leafs did have a lot of tough guys in the organization and uh pat quinn apparently wasn't your biggest fan he gave me he gave me a, a talk that i needed to hear at the time i 
he was awesome. I, he, I had a couple instances with him. Uh, I remember we were in practice and we were doing a drill and I skated all the way down. And I tried to go shelf and it missed that by like five feet. And he came and stood beside me. He's like, how long's the rink? And I actually didn't know the answer. I'm like, I've never asked that. I don't know how far it is. I just know it's a rink. So we're pacing up. Yeah. He's like, you just skated probably 250 feet to miss the net. Do you think that was the best use of your time? I was like, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're right. Uh, and then yeah, training camp for one year. Uh, I don't think I, I didn't get an exhibition game. I didn't get anything. I led the AHL in fights. I think the year before I was close to it. I definitely led the team. And I really thought you could just fight your way into the NHL and nothing else mattered. And, um, he said to me, you could be the toughest guy on this team, man, you could be the toughest guy in the league. I, I don't know. I still wouldn't have you on my team. You can't play a lick. I was like, wow, that's uh, something I needed to hear at the time. And I, my coach was, uh, Al McAdam was sitting right beside him. I kind of looked at Al. I'm like, you going to pipe in here like that I'm decent hockey player? He just sat there. And I was like, all right, time to go down and get to work and really start working on my game. And um, and I and I did. So um, it, it was a conversation I needed to hear. I didn't take it. I didn't walk out of that meeting being sent down saying, oh, my God, he's a he's an ass or anything like that. I was, I was like, wow, all right, I got the, the honest truth and now it's time to go to work. Right. Yeah. The Irishman told you the truth. No doubt about it. He did. He yeah. did that. With a lot of Maybe the Irish guy just took it, liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, you weren't exactly an overnight sensation. I mean, you, you spent five years in the minors before you got a sniff, uh, your second year in the AHL, you, you just touched on that 36 fights in 78 games. That's a lot of fights. Um, you know, you're, you're making a name for yourself as an enforcer. Uh, this didn't happen. What does that do to the body? What does that do to your hands? Uh, you know, fighting uh, that that frequently. My my hands, my right hand in particular is a little messed up. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, it's uh, it's pretty sore some days. But uh, I actually went to go see a hand surgeon after I retired and said, uh, "Can you help me with this?" And he said, "Stop hitting things." I said, "You went to med school all those years just to tell me stop hitting." <laughs> There's like a shot or something. Uh, uh, but you know, listen. I can't complain about the job. Do my hands hurt some days? Sure. Um, my shoulders, knees, every once in a while, hips. Yeah, but I had an amazing career. It was uh, fighting was a means to an end for me. I ended up after the talk from Pat. I put a lot of work in working on my game and a lot, a lot of hours and conditioning and everything else to put myself in a position to play meaningful minutes on some pretty important teams. Luckily, so uh, I, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. I'm fighting got my foot in the door, and uh, I just tried to, you know open the door a little bit more with my playing ability and hopefully my self-thought intelligence anyways. Well, some, some interesting stories in the book. It was funny reading about how you got in a fight with uh, Moose Morissette uh, and in the penalty box, Moose is giving you some tips on, on how to fight, be a better fighter. And apparently you used those tips against him the next time you fought him. Yeah. I mean, that's the common theme people will ask about. Like, it's such a, there's a common respect for people in that role, right? Like me and Moose didn't know each other from a hole in the wall. Like he got sent down from the Montreal Canadiens. I'm leading or one of the leaders in the AHL in hockey fight and fights at the time. And we just knew it was our job at that time that we were going to have to square off. So we did our first shift, got it out of the way, sat in the box. He got the better of me and sat in the box and critiqued how I approached it. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> the next time you know, I had longer, a little bit longer arms, I, I, Caught him with a couple, probably got the upper hand uh, on the second one. So me and Moose see each other now. We can have a beer and say we're probably one on one, maybe a little bit, and just take the draw. We don't have to. We don't need a third rematch. We're okay. Right, right. It was, uh, you're good. You're good. Um, you know, you, you talk about the hands and the damage it caused your your hands and everything else. But again, what, what kind of damage would you cause your body if you had to stay in, in, in the steel mill, right? So it, it's right, a, exactly. It's yeah, my my dad's been some yeah. pinky, like. Those things that happen right. there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it wasn't so bad. Um, Louis Debrus said, uh, "Couldn't have done what Sean did. He always fought bigger guys. He was a good technical fighter, and he had big balls." Oh, uh, there we go. Thanks, Vic. Vic, our producer, put that up. So uh, I thought that was an interesting quote. Um, what uh, What do you say about uh, Louis uh, Louis's assessment? Um, Luscious did do what I did. Um... He is definitely bigger than me, uh, but he's cut from the same cloth. I, I know Louie really well. I was talking to him a couple of days ago, actually. Um, you know, he we played together in Norfolk uh, 
when I need, I knew I needed to retire when I saw his son was drafted by the Bruins, and I was in Boston at the time. I was like, oh god, it's time to get out of this game. If I'm, I'm that old. I remember him on the bus being, you know, six, uh, six years old, me tying him to knots in the back of the bus. So, um, no, I, I mean, I, I appreciate Louis. He's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, and I, I was not surprised by his quote, uh, but he's so humble. He he says he could, he did do it, and maybe did it at a better level than I did. Well, he, he had a lot of praise for you throughout the book, no doubt about that. Um, how, you, you finally did get your, your your shot in Chicago. How much uh, did Aaron have to do with you getting your career on track, your wife? Uh, she was a big part. Uh, listen, I used to come back back home, Toronto, Oshawa in the summers, and I would work out five, six hours a day, including skating, and then you know I'd be out for five, six hours a night and get five, six hours of sleep, if that, and cycle continued and she sat me down really had a frank conversation so you're just you're breaking even you're wasting it if you want to get to the next level you you have to change your diet you have to change your eating uh your sleeping habits you have to change your definitely your drinking habits and um you know i I know you like your boys and all that but you you gotta limit them to one or two and one or two a week maybe to 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 get where you need to be and um she helped me straighten out there and it was a big reason I, i went into chicago the year, about a year and a half after we'd met, uh, I think, and crushed the testing part of uh, training camp. And uh, I was probably a little bit too light for the job I needed to do. And she didn't realize what my job was really. She just knew I was trying to play hockey and got me in the best shape possible, helped get me in the best shape possible. Uh, when she came down to a game and saw me grab big George LaRock in her first game, and I was only weighing about, I don't know, 198 pounds, and I, I used to walk around at 215. Uh, she's like, I think he might have taken a little bit too much off because he was tossing me around like a rag doll. But, um, no, big big part of me being where I am is, is the discipline that my wife helped uh, instill in me. Well, let's talk about uh, George LaRock because, uh, you know, you would have to look at the game sheet every day and you'd look at the game sheet and know who you're going to be squaring off with that night. Yeah. LaRock was a guy that you fight, like you fought a lot of guys numerous times, but LaRock was a guy that you fought on a number of different occasions. Like you said, the first couple of times, yeah, he threw you around like a rag doll, but eventually you started to get the better of Big George. You know, there were some really good scraps between you two. And that's when I talk about, you know, one of the best pound for pound uh, fighters in the NHL history. I'm th- I, you were certainly right up there because, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, you, you always more than held your own and, and you never, you never back down. And you, uh, you know, when the, when the, uh, when your job, uh, you know, had a job to do and you, and you did your job and you did it very well. Yeah. I remember I fought George probably for the third or fourth or fifth time. I can't remember in Edmonton. Um, and it looked like I got the better of him the way we were tossing him. Like he was going left. I was going right. I was probably coming down the pipe a little bit quicker than him and he fell down but we get in the box he's like we got to go again you beat me i was like he hit me with one shot but he split my eye into like 18 different pieces so I'm not, if this is a win i'm not sure i'm not sure if i want the win uh and then obviously you guys just showed them in montreal there were a lot of build ups that one um and yeah we knew it was going to happen so i wanted to get it out of the way uh right away i had a lot of respect for george he was he was a big 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 tough guy uh one of the strongest individuals you ever had to grab a hold of um, and he, he had a job to do and, and he did it like, uh, again, no ill will. I, I'd be happy to, if I ever ran into him in Montreal or, or I think he's living in Montreal, like I'd have a beer with him. I'd love to have a conversation with him about his career and see what he's doing now. I get, uh, all these guys that we fought each other. I, I don't think I can pick one that I, I have a dislike for. Yeah. You, there, there's a couple of guys that you, there were, you know, a little bit of, uh, situations where you didn't talk to each other for a while but it seems to me that now that everything's you know the smoke's clear and everything else you guys get along pretty well another guy you get along with well is uh, eric bolton who you fought like i think it's 13 or 14 times according to the book so <laughs> yeah, i'm like thinking you must have known each other pretty good hey eh? you know you knew what was coming you knew each other's moves pretty good from uh i mean we fought twice in junior all the way through uh i think he was one of my he was my first fight in the NHL, I think, too. He dropped me like a bad habit. And then we fought a, a year later when he was in Atlanta. I was with Chicago. Then, yeah, all the years when he was in Atlanta, New Jersey. I'm trying to think where else he played that me and him ran into each other. Um, I, I think I fought him the most. And I, I would say I had a healthy respect for him. It wasn't until I played with Shane Knighty, who, who was roommates with Bolts in um, Atlanta. And me and 
Nides were roommates in Boston. He's like, Thority, I know you guys fight every single game, but like, you have no idea. You're the exact same person. You'd be best friends if you uh, ever really went and had a beer off the ice. And I was like, all right, I'll give this guy a chance. I think we have had a beer. And yeah, he is a, he's a great guy. And at the end of the day, it's just a, it's just a job. Um, it was probably me more angry that he got the better of me in my first NHL fight and never wanted to live it down uh, and held the grudge than anything else. But uh, I, a lot of respect for Holtz. He, he, I mean, he's six foot, 220 pounds, same size as me. Maybe I have an inch on him, but another guy that fought every single big boy that came through, uh, couldn't probably couldn't look himself in the mirror unless he stepped up to the challenge. And I was kind of the same way. Well, yeah, a mirror, mirror image really, isn't it? Um, um, and you guys really, obviously, by that, that footage, footage, you really went out at it. Now, you did have a couple of concussions in your career. One of those guys, one of those came against John Scott. Now, John was massive, six foot eight. It can't be easy fighting a guy that big, and he and he and he landed on you here in this fight. And uh, what was and you, you mentioned that was one of the couple times you suffered a concussion. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, well, that's the second time I've seen that since it happened. So thanks for putting that up. Um, <laughs> he, uh, listen, he's six foot eight, two hundred pounds or something like that. He has a lot of a lot of size on me. It didn't work out the way I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be able to line up on the other side. I had a whole game plan in my head on how I was going to attack it. And it just didn't work out. It was one of those fights that uh, didn't go my way. That concussion, though, was fairly mild. Um, I, I was back skating, I think, three or four days later. I passed my concussion test two days, two or three days later. Um, I didn't feel good that, that night. I took the game off. The next day, I rested. And then by Monday, I was back doing my test and back on the bike. It was a very mild one. He caught me behind the ear. Uh, probably looked a little worse than it was. If, it, if I got hit on the jaw like that, I, I would, probably would have been in a lot of trouble um, or in the temple. Caught me behind the ear. Didn't uh, wasn't as bad as it looked, but uh, I had one in junior that was bad. Uh, Lee Cole was his name. He put my nose on the other side of my face, and um, it's still kind of there now, even though I got it fixed a few times. Um, but yeah, that was those are the only two I can really think of that uh, would been would have been mem memorable. Well, there's no no point in getting that nose fixed until your career's over. That's for sure. Uh, exactly. you, know, you, you know, yeah, yeah, kind of a waste of time. But um, John, John ended up being a bit of a, a bit of a hero for, for the for the enforcer community when he was uh, you know when he was picked into the All Star game and ended up being the All Star game MVP. He, he was kind of quite a story, John Scott. Yeah, no, happy for him. It's awesome. I, I remember when it happened. I was still playing. I was like, what I liked about it was they tried to make it almost like they tried to make a joke out of it, or somebody did, right? Like that was the intent. Yeah. And when they got there, they saw the respect that all his teammates, former teammates, the other stars in the game have for the people that are in that role and really flipped the script on, you know, what this role is all about. It's it's not a joke. It's the, the guy that helps these guys sometimes sleep at night, knowing that they're going to be protected the next day. And, um, uh, and he had some goals and I think assists in that game and played a decent game. So uh, it, it was great to see. It, it was great to see. Well, you know, and the game has changed some, but it hasn't changed entirely. It, it, you know, you know, the Leafs still need a guy like Wayne Simmons on the ice, who, you know, to keep people from giving, you know, taking liberties with guys like Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner. So, uh, we want to talk about your 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 role with the with the championship team. Uh, you won the cup with Anaheim. Brian Burke was your uh, general manager at the time. We had, actually had Brian on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about uh, Sean Thornton. Well, it just shows you I'm not very smart because Sean Thornton, we let go to the Boston Bruins after that because he wanted a three-year contract. And Sean Thornton had already played three or four years, including, I think, two years in the American League in Norfolk. And we just felt that he didn't have three years left. Well, I think he played six more years after I had him. So I'm not very smart sometimes. And we, we let Sean Thornton go over term, not money. We wanted him back, but we wanted him to take a two-year deal. Uh, Sean Thornton added a lot to our team. He was tough, uh, leadership skills, really a good guy, very popular teammate, could play defense even though he's a right wing. Everyone will always remember Sean Thornton as a right wing, but he would play point on the power play. I'm not making this up. Sean will verify it. And he could play defense. I remember the first time I saw him play was at a game in Portland, Maine. He was playing, I think, for Norfolk. He had a fight. He scored a goal. He ran the power play, played defense, and played forward. I remember writing down, uh, like, this uh, This kind of versatility is hard to find. 
So yeah, Sean Thornton was an important part of our team. What a wonderful young man. Well, that's high yeah, praise. And, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice thing anyone's ever said to me uh, about me. Uh, Berkey's, a, Berkey's a good man. And he, yeah, everyone that knows him knows he's a straight shooter, so he's not—he's not lying. I guess I can—I could take it. Uh, no, it's very, very kind. Berkey's not wrong um, in the fact that yeah, that year in Norfolk, I was our captain. Uh, I played in the minors for I don't know eight years at that point, something like that. And uh, I just first line, uh, first line right wing to start the game. Then I played D on the penalty kill, played D on the power play. Uh, penalty kill. Yeah, it was, I, I played a lot of minutes that year in Norfolk. Mike Havlin was my coach, and uh, their tough guy was Trevor Gillies at the time. We had fought a bunch before, so I think first shift, Gillies said, "Thorny, we got to go. Berkey's here. I got to make a statement." I was like, "All right, let's go." So we fought, and then I ended up playing, you know, 20 minutes probably for the rest of the, the night. And I'm glad he took notice because yeah, it was a year later. I was in Anaheim. Uh, I think Trent Yanni knew Brian uh, Murray. Uh, Yans called Murph and said. I got a guy you might want to look into. And then the fact that Berkey had seen me in that game, that definitely helped push it through to get me in the organization the next year. Well, yeah. And that, you, you got that first Stanley Cup, which was pretty, pretty awesome. And, and Berkey got his Stanley Cup. And, you know, you, you don't get that without that toughness. There we go. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a key part of that. So after the Cup, after the Cup win in, in Anaheim, you, you're get, you get free agency for the first time. And, Probably at one point in your career, you never saw this coming, but here you are uh, uh, getting a chance to choose your team, uh, mull over some deals, and Boston came up with a with a with a really good deal, and it was a really good fit. Tell us about the conversation you had with Cam Neely. Yeah, I was actually fil- uh, fishing in a charity tournament up in uh, Port Perry, so I had my phone off for the most of the day on July first, which is not the smartest thing to do on the first day of free agency when you're trying to get your first big deal in the NHL. And um, I had three or four teams that are interested, I think. And Cam called, left a message. I called him back when I got off uh, the water. And he just said, listen, I've seen players such as yourself, like your role come through this town and they end up becoming very popular folk heroes. I can't remember what he said verbatim, but uh, he just said, I, I think this town would be the right fit for you. And that might've been the understatement of, of the, my career. Yeah. Uh, the way that town embraced me, um, the, the love that I was shown and the respect that they give to tough players in that town is second to none, in my opinion. I, I think, you know, growing up in Toronto, there's a lot of it as well. I think you just play for the Leafs, doesn't matter what role you're in, but definitely the tough guys get a, uh, get a soft spot in the, in the hearts of the people around the town. But uh, Boston was like a whole nother level. Yeah, Bruins weren't particularly good at that stage, but they had some young guys coming up. And, and, and as you, the quote that you had here, which is really good, uh, you didn't know much about Boston, but losing in the NHL is better than winning every game in the AHL. That's that's certainly no doubt about that. And you talk about tough guys that played for Boston. Another Oshawa boy, Terry O'Reilly, was, was certainly a big a big star in Boston. And so uh, I, I'm sure he was a bit of an inspiration for you as well. Yeah, I know. I got to know Taz over my time in Boston. Had some signings together and stuff. What a, what a great human being. Uh, him, Bobby, you know, uh, Rick Middleton, Ray, like getting to – Bob Sweeney, getting to know all those guys uh, while you're there, it, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. The alumni that's still involved and uh, how, how they're you know still around the team and getting to know those guys is pretty cool when you're up watching them. Now, um, the incident with Matt Cook. Uh, Matt was playing for the Penguins. You're now with the Bruins. Uh, he laid out Mark Savard. It was a it was a nasty hit, and, and for all intents and purposes, really, it, it, it ended Mar- Mark Savard's career. Everybody knew what was going to be happening the next time you guys faced the Penguins. But this one was was set up. And tell me about the the whole situation and how how you knew that this was going to be your time to get even with Cook. Uh, it was a week later. Listen, the, the city was not happy with what had happened and the lack of response the game before. Now, the game before, there wasn't much of a time to get them. Uh, I didn't get on the ice again. We were down by a goal, I think. And uh, So, you know, a week later, we were playing them. We made a decision inside the locker room that I would deal with it, uh, and then the situation would be over. They had a few tough guys on their team. We had a really tough team. The game could have went one of two ways. It could have been an absolute bloodbath. We would have been on all the sports channels and maybe there's some others for all the wrong reasons, or we can negotiate this and uh, I'll get my shots in, and then we move on, and, that, and that's exactly how it was. So we tried to be professional about it. I mean, a lot of people think on the outside looking in, it's just, 
guys going out there and punching each other in the head and there's no thought that goes into it and it's violent, but we actually curbed violence uh, and just dealt with it the right way, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people wouldn't understand is that you, you, uh, you know, it was more or less negotiated before the game, right? I mean, it was, yeah, it was laid out in the yeah, table, me, right? Yeah, myself, Z, Berge, Mark Recchi talked about it, and I said, I'll take care of it. Let's go see. Somebody on their team's got to go tell him he's got to take care of it. And we went to Billy Guerin, who was their their you know elder statesman in the locker room, and Rex said to uh, Billy, Thornton's going to fight him first shift get the kid out there on Thornton's first shift and make sure he does it or else it's going to go the other way. And nobody wants that. And Billy said, I agree. I've been there before. So you went in and told Matt Cook, you're going to fight, you're going to fight me on the first shift. We did. And then it was over. Right. And you know what? And that allowed it to dissipate, didn't it? Because, you know, uh, otherwise that bad blood that would have existed for who knows how long and who knows what would have happened as a result of that, because you guys were not happy when he took it so hard. Correct. Yeah, that's the whole point. I mean, just get it out of the way. Take uh, again, some risk too. It's not like Matt Cook's a walk in the park. He's fought before. It wasn't like he was a 80 goal scorer that was fighting for the first time. Like he, he knew what he was doing. So, I could have lost that fight, and it wouldn't, that wouldn't have been good either. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, then we we got it done, and we uh, we moved on. No, actually, it was good. I, I, so now you. you you know, when you talk about the, you know that aspect of the game that is still part of the game today, just not not it's not the way it used to be, but it's still certainly fighting is part of the game, and it still has its place in the game. Do you think it's an, a key piece still? Yeah, I do. It's a I've said this a few times on the record. It's a two hundred by eighty five game with no out of bounds, uh, guys skating around thirty miles an hour with contact. Um, it becomes a pressure cooker in there, and sometimes two guys that are frustrated and want to deal with it mano a mano will definitely relieve the pressure cooker that is the, the game of hockey sometimes. So um, I'm glad that the one-dimensional staged fight era is past us. Uh, again, it helped me get my foot in the door. I never really liked doing it, uh, especially when I started playing meaningful minutes on in the NHL. The last thing I want to do is just go square off with somebody at the 1959 minute mark just because we're trying to figure out who's a, who's a tougher individual. But... I do think there's a place for it in the game, uh, and I think it's actually uh, a positive, not the ne- not a negative. Right. The only the only regret you have is that incident uh, that, by reading a book that really is the incident with Brooks Orpik, and it was the incident, and it really looked a lot it really looked a lot worse than it than it was. And I, I know that Brooks himself has said that there was really no malice involved. That uh, you know, you had asked him to scrap, and, and, and then you went after him, and you caught him in a kind of an awkward position. What happened there? Yeah, definitely my biggest regret. Like, my head – so what happened was he finished a hit on Louis Erickson, uh, knocked him out of the game. Brad Marchand, I turned around. I was up the ice in a play, uh, was on the ice out cold too. Um, I turned around. I didn't know who did it. I went and grabbed Brooksy. He was the toughest guy in the – or not the toughest, the biggest guy in the ice at the time friends with Brooksy. We used to travel to New York together for union meetings. We used to skate together, work out together, golf together, have beers together. Like we got along and uh, listen, my take on it was I was going to go down, grab him, throw him to the ice, but I made sure he didn't, his head didn't hit the ice when um, I put him down. And then I was going to throw two quick like jabs, rough him up a little bit, take my four minutes and go to the box. Probably have to fight their tough guy when I come out of the box. And then we move on the, 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 it's been dealt with. I mean, I have two players that are hurt in the first six minutes on my team. It's my job to address it in some way, shape, or form. That's 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 why they part of the reason I'm employed. So um, ends up when I threw one of those punches, it must have hit him in an awkward uh, position, and he didn't get up. And um, that's the last thing I wanted to happen to Brooksy. There is no way in my head ever, not even for a millisecond, was I looking to knock somebody out in that situation. Um, I was just looking to. So, you know, send a small message. And unfortunately, Brooksy didn't get up and was carried off the ice. And um, I didn't see the full, because I went into the locker room, obviously, and I didn't see the full optics of it until my second hearing. And they played it in totality. And I was like, wow, that does look bad. So I understand why you're throwing the book at mm-hmm. me. I still think you've been throwing that hard. But I understood why, why they threw the book at me, especially with where the game was going with the lawsuits and everything else. Uh, I understood. So 
Uh, yeah, if I could have that moment back, I would take it back. But I did it. I have to live with my situation. I took my suspension. I lost my money. I lost some pension. Uh, my friendship with Brooksy probably never be the same. Um, I mean, we still we deal still till talk. I, I talked to him a couple of days ago. I needed his address, so uh, we're saying Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. But um, you know, that's definitely a regret I had that, that I wish I could get back. Now you also had some some uh, key goals along the way. You had the one season where you had ten goals, ten assists, and uh, 122 penalty minutes, and you guys won the cup. Not bad. Uh, uh, we've got a we got a lovely goal here that you had. It was a, it was a penalty shot coming out of the penalty box. I think it was you guys were shorthanded uh, against the Jets. You got a tripped on a shorthanded breakaway. Didn't get many chances in this situation in your career, but uh, check out that angle. We, we need to see that one a few times, Vic. You had the, uh, the backhand leg kick toe, toe drag, a Lemieux-style goal. I mean, this is incredible. And apparently uh, this is something you've done before in practice, and you, you talked to Tuca about it, right? Yeah, I used to do it all the time in practice. I also used to go to the backhand, back to the forehand sometimes after faking it. But, uh, yeah, I had a penalty shot. I never thought that would happen. And I was nervous about doing it. It's one thing to do it in practice, but to pull it off in front of – 18,000 people on uh, on a local broadcast. It's a, that's a whole other animal. So what I had going for me is there's no way the goalie thought I was going to do that. It was probably more shocked than anything. Uh, uh, but, you know, it, it works. Andre so Koblik, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't take it away from me, right? Yeah. It's, it's out there forever. I, I pulled it off. Uh, what's amazing is I never got a shootout opportunity after a game, after showing the people my moves. Like, no coach Come never on. had the confidence in the shootout. Uh, I was like, I'm pretty good at these things. Like, I got more than just that too. So, listen, I'm I'm still shocked that I got the opportunity. Even more shocked that I pulled it off. But it, it was a move that's worked in practice on, arguably, you know, he's my friend, so I'm biased. But one of the best goalies of the last generation. Right, and and of course you checked with Tuka before, and he he gave you the go ahead, right? Yeah, him and Nathan Horton, Tim Thomas. I was like, should I do it? I'm like, yeah, you should do it. I was like, oh, all right, I'll try it. Well, you know what? I don't. I can't understand why another coach didn't give you the opportunity in the shootout because you are batting a thousand in shootout opportunities and right. penalty shot opportunities. So, that way, right? I can ride off in the sunset a thousand. That's right. The greatest uh, penalty shot percentage in the history of the NHL. You got it. Add it to the stat. Great, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, you also had some great one timers. Uh, I, I mean, Thorny, you, you had a shot. You could bring it. Um, as I mentioned, you had the in 2010, 2011, you had the 10 goals, 10 assists, and of course, uh, the Stanley Cup to, to boot. What? Um, let's talk about that Cup win in Boston. What was like, and, and uh, what the city was like, and and because uh, it had been 39 years before that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I being a part. So people ask me about the two cups a lot. So more of the common questions. And Anaheim was the most exciting moment of my life at that point until I had my kids, basically. Um, Definitely the most exciting thing I've ever done. Uh, Boston meant more, though. Uh, being part of the core of that organization for the last, you know, three, four years before that, helping change the culture inside the locker room, helping, you know, play meaningful minutes, even all the way into game seven. I just felt like I was a bigger part of that trophy. So um, the, the city was amazing. I think we had record numbers for our parade. There's a lot of times I still can't buy a beer in that town. If somebody recognizes me, they're, they're buying it for me. So, um, no, I... Amazing experience, great team, great bunch of guys. We were like family and really loved each other. So um, it was, you know, that was the apex of the career. Well, you know, and, and it came, that Stanley Cup victory came the year after you guys blew the 3 nothing lead against the Flyers. 3 nothing series lead and then a 3 nothing yep. lead in Game 7. And I look at what happened to uh, the Maple Leafs here last year. Do you think they, they could learn from an experience like that? Well, we gave them one too in 2013, I think. But um, the, yeah, right. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't think we win that cup without that experience from Philly. We really learned that one, the game wasn't over until it was over, uh, both sides, right? So fight through it, fight through the adversity, you still have a chance. Um, and, and really going through that adversity and having to live with it for the six months, or well, I guess four months in the summer, and hearing about it every single day, everywhere you went whether you're in Canada, Boston, New York, Chicago, like the talk was the collapse that the Bruins had that year in the playoffs, having to live with that and really letting that fuel you for the next season. Uh, I don't think, I'm not sure if we would have won without it. You know, um, 
Roberto Luongo said some controversial stuff in that uh, in that um, series against the Canucks in the final. Um, did you learn anything from? Uh, did you take anything away from that when when Bobby Lou made his comments? Uh, I took away how you could take a comment that was probably taken out of context and use it as motivation. Uh, I know Lou well enough to know um, what he said wasn't in a malicious intent or form he was uh i think he was just speaking shooting from the hip that you know uh he he really respects tim thomas and blah blah blah, blah and uh pumps his time so i mean we took it and used it as you know bolton board uh motivation but uh again i played with lou for three years here <laughs> i know what yeah, i knew what he meant yeah. uh, but we took it to, to go the other way um, yeah, he's a great, he's a great human being and I'm happy to have had him for a teammate for three years and I still work beside him, uh, daily here. Character, funny guy too. I mean, just, uh, yeah, hilarious, really. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think it was, I'm sure it was a tongue in cheek thing. Oh yeah. Tim Thomas doesn't pump my tires, you know, like, like I pump his <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a good anyway. Anyways, good for you guys. That's for sure. Um, you uh, some you talked about your cup stories, and two that stuck out for me was uh, the chance to, to spend some time with your grandmother after the first one, and then and then later on when you got a chance to have some time with the cup again, and and you got a chance to spend it with your daughters, and there you are with your grandmother who had Parkinson's and helping her lift it over her head, and yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. she was. Uh... From Belfast, the old Irish queen, she used to slip me 20s after my games at Peterborough to go have a beer with the boys. Uh, used to scream, kill him uh, when I was fighting when she was in the stands. So <laughs> she was one of the toughest ones out there. Uh, very lucky to have her a part of my life. So, yeah, she was in a home with Parkinson's. Part of the reason, or not part of the reason, the reason I started my foundation was because of her battle with Parkinson's. And uh, being able to have that moment with her uh, before she passed was, was amazing. You... Um... I want to talk about your journey in a second too, but uh, you talked about, you know, moving on the Panthers, leaving Boston and how difficult that was, but they gave you a really nice tribute at the TD garden. And uh, uh, when you return for the first time uh, as a Panther, uh, how did that feel? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, it helps when you're, you've played 45 of the top 100 golf courses uh, in the U S with their, PR and marketing guy. Uh, when he's one of your best friends, it's, it probably helps with tribute uh, when he's in charge of game friends and everything else. But um, no, it was great. I, my first time back in there was very emotional. It was weird to be on the other side. You know, I, I really hadn't spent that much time in any organization and then had to play them. You know, I went to Anaheim for a year, went to Boston. It didn't really bother me when I played Anaheim. But, um, you know, when a couple of those guys, and most of the team was still together with a few changes, and they still are actually. Um, it, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, it was a great tribute. My parents were there. My wife was there. They all flew in. So, uh, I was happy, happy with how it came out. Pretty bloody awesome. Um, now you you're with the Panthers. Now you have, uh, since retirement, uh, currently their chief commercial officer. Uh, you guys have put together some great spots. I, I know you posted one the, uh, recently Pan it's part of this Panthers uncaged, uh, yeah. program. And it was really, really, really good. The, the one you guys did on uh, chase Prisky. Homegrown talent. Now, this is a pretty cool story. Guy is born and raised in South Florida. His dad used to work at the arena, and he ends up playing for the Florida Panthers, hey? Right. Great kid. Yeah, when I uh, one of my first things on the business side was uh, in Boston, I, I saw a lot of success they had with their uh, Behind the Bee show, and I was part I was in their pilot. Uh, again, my one of my best friends created it. Um, him and this other guy, Eric Tosi, who's another close friend of mine, is in Vegas now. So I, I knew what it took. Uh, to create one of these shows, uh, and this is our third season now. Uh, the first one, we we really wanted to tell the story of what life was like coming out of, not coming out of, in the middle of a pandemic, going back into bubble situations before they went into the bubble cities in uh, in Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, so we got Hockey Ops on board, wired the arena with GoPros and cameras, and got our camera guy tested daily, had them, you know, 15 feet away behind plexiglass, whatever we needed to do to get an inside look at, mm -hmm. at what it's doing. And uh, I just feel like that content's very important for growing our brand, uh, for being able to show the outside world what these guys' personalities are like so they can attach to it. I mean, a jersey's one thing, right? But when you can 
really attached to a personality that you identify with, you, you can create some fandom that is a lot deeper than just the wins and losses. So uh, that's the goal of the show. It's uh, very proud of it. Like I said, it's our third season. I'm, I, I created it, I helped produce it. I have a very talented team uh, that I work with that, that put it all together, uh, script it, you know, do the storyboards and, and put the whole thing together with creative and, and video. But um, I'm glad, glad it's been great you know, I've been able to turn, turn it around. Well, I, I want to, yeah, encourage people to, to have a look at that. Check out the you know, Panthers website and watch some of those. They're pretty amazing. Um, talk, speaking of the Panthers, uh, pretty good uh, scrap. You gave the uh, eventual Stanley Cup winners last year. Uh, gave them all they can handle. This year, you know, you, it's you and the Bolts and the Leafs in a pretty good three-way scrap at, at the top of the Atlantic Division. Um, what, what Are the Cats really a force to be reckoned with here? We're a good team. Uh, again, I, I stay on the other side. I'm trying to sell naming rights to this building and, you know, create content and sponsorable content that people want to attach with. But on the hockey ops side, Bill's done a really good job with that organization, with the organization here. And, uh, the coaching staff's done a great job. The players have bought in and we're deep. I mean, we're a really deep team. And, uh, we're an exciting team to watch too. You, you saw it last year in the playoffs with Tampa, probably the most exciting in the playoffs, in my opinion. So, uh, I think we're, we're as good as anybody. I'm like, say the force but we're 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 definitely on the map yeah so i uh, some of your from or uh some of your former teammates have made have had some quotes in the book and zidane chera said you had uh, balls of steel mark recky said they couldn't have won the cup without you uh, uh your line shut down the sedines and uh recky also uh interestingly enough chose to confide in you confide in you when he made that uh, announcement that he was he was packing it in yeah rex we got really tight when we played together he's such a great human being we uh night before the last game he, he said you want to come up have a glass of wine went up to his room and he you know told me tomorrow was his last game win or lose he was retiring and uh he had, had enough and really made me want to run through the wall for him uh a lot of people I, I didn't expect that to be happening ever in my career like you know future hall of famer choosing me to have his last glass of wine with before his last game but, uh I, I don't take that moment for granted a pretty awesome moment for sure. Um, it, interesting that you and Aaron almost became cops. Yeah, if we didn't make it, that's yeah. If it wasn't for Berkey and and Murph. Yeah, I, yeah. I played nine full years of the minors, basically with a couple of cups of coffee in Chicago, and uh, we were ri doing ride-alongs in Toronto. I was, you know, skating with cops in Toronto, and uh, she had already finished her police testing. And if I didn't, we said we'll give ourselves one more organization, one more shot. But if I was in Portland that full year. It would have taken a lot to convince me not to come back home and and go through my police testing and become a, a, a cop somewhere in the city. Well, and things have a way of working out the way they work out. And you tell us about the Sean uh, Thornton Foundation. Yeah, so created it uh, 14 years ago now, I think. Um, created a golf tournament in memory of my grandmother. Uh, then when I, we were in the lockout, and uh, I guess 10 years ago, so 2012. Uh, we weren't allowed to talk to the Bruins front office anymore who ran my golf tournament. I didn't want to lose the golf tournament, so I decided to create my own foundation. Two near and dear things to my heart are Parkinson's and pediatric cancer. Um, used to do a lot of hospital visits as a player. Um, really wanted to be able to get back. So we uh, we do two events a year. We do a golf tournament. We do a Boston Marathon. We have runners run for the Boston Marathon, raise, uh, raise a good amount of cash for the charity. I'm very lucky. My board members all volunteer. Uh, every dollar that comes in minus a couple of costs for the golf tournament goes right back out the door to, to various causes that try and, you know, cure Parkinson's disease, pediatric cancer, uh, helping patients, doing whatever we can. So uh, it's something very proud of. We've raised over a million dollars and, you know, I was lucky enough as an athlete to have a platform to be able to give back and uh, decided I was going to try and give back a little bit. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, I've been re retired for four and a half years and um, golf tournament still sells out. We still sell out all our bibs. We're still able to make a lot of money to, to be able to get back. So pretty cool. You, you, you talk about making visits to hospitals. You're, you're always the guy at the front of the line for that. Um, and also, you know, when two causes that you got involved with immediately after they happened, there was the, uh, the marathon bombings in Boston, and of course, the Parkland shooting in Florida. Uh, and I know that you've been, uh, you got to know the families, um, and you've helped to play a role in the healing. And, and right here, we got a picture of you with, uh, helping organize the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas hockey team's trip to the, uh, I believe it was in the Nationals, high school championships. And 
Uh, tell us about that experience. What was that like for you, uh, being so close to that tragedy? Yeah, yeah I, I live in Parkland, and I lived in Coral Springs, which was right down the street. Um, you know, neighbors with uh, one of the families that lost their daughter became really tight with Fred Guttenberg, who had also lost his daughter mm-hmm. through this. Uh, the the team decided that, or the organization, I should say, decided I would be the point person for all the things Stoneham Douglas uh, here locally, and um, it was tough. I'm not gonna lie, like putting together whatever, you know, what a tribute would look like, what uh, what the reactions, what our organizational reaction is and how we're going to support them behind the scenes and do things, you know, without grant. We definitely want, we want to do it for the right reasons. We weren't doing it for that picture, that's for sure. Yeah, actually, that picture only came about because the media was hounding the manager of Stone and Douglas so much, the hockey team, because they're having a successful year. Uh, that she asked for help, so we decided to to help take on the PR of that and uh, agreed to allow the media like an hour's access to what we were doing, just to let to make them go away basically at the end of the day, um, and so the families could have mm-hmm. again. Um, so you know it was it was a stressful time, but I, I'm proud of how we navigated and supported and did everything we could, uh, we felt, uh, you know, and, and if we didn't, we, we'd still like to hear about it because we, we want to support them and we'll always be here to support those families. Yes, and Roberto Luongo played a, a large role in that too. I remember he had the, that beautiful speech that he gave. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, uh, I want to congratulate the, you know, you and the Panthers organization on, on, on uh, the support they've given. You know, it's, it's somebody who's lost a son, not the same way, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's 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 something very difficult uh, to get get to get through, and, and uh, you know we need a lot, a lot of support. And it's nice to know you get when you got people in your corner. It's 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 a beautiful thing. Uh, listen, Sean, I want to thank you for being on the show today. This is uh, it, it's been awesome. I just was really looking forward to this. Uh, we go back way back to the uh, premier uh, the premier <laughs> fitness days. Uh, Sean Thornton, fighting my way to the top. Must reading for any hockey fan. Nice gift for New Year's or Ukrainian Christmas. Uh, yeah, Sean is a guest on uh, Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show. We've got some great clothing for you from Classic Imports. We're going to hook you up with our buddy Jeff, and he's going to hook you up when you're, next time you're in southern Ontario, let us know, and maybe we'll get a golf game. I know you, had, you brought the cup out to Wind Dance one time, and uh, that was the, uh, I think, probably the Ducks Cup, I'm guessing, right? It was. Yeah, yeah it was. Important. Used it as a ball marker. Whoever's close to the pin got to use it as a ball marker. Yeah, I, I'd love to go swing them. Go play Oshawa Golf Club. Get the Armstrongs on their top. Right on. That's a good course. Yeah, yeah. It's too tight for me. <laughs> but you know what? The good thing about it is it's short, and, and I, I like them shorter too. So that, that's that's probably good for me. But listen, uh, Sean, thank thank you so much for being on the program, and uh, and good luck with everything you're doing. All right. Thanks, Joe. Great seeing you. Good seeing you too, man. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Hey, I'm Canadian rocker Tommy Gunn, and you got more Joe Tilly Sports coming up. When I'm working out, I like to wear my Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show t-shirt. It makes me feel handsome and strong. If you want a t-shirt, support the show, click on the link below. Now, back to my workout. 1,761, 1,762, 1,763, 1,764. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. 
Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com. And check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Yes, here it is, the moment you've all been waiting for, my COSA Swiss pick of the week. Last time out, I took the number five horse, Cyclone Joe, in the fifth race at Flamborough Downs. Now, why wouldn't I? Unfortunately, I think he ran into a Cyclone. He broke stride at the three-quarter mark and ended up dead last. Hey, you win some, you lose some. Now, now this week, we're looking ahead to a big season of harness racing. After checking in with our good pal, Ken Middleton, we have come up with a list of horses to watch for in 2022. I'm going to say bet $5 to win place. Whenever you see these names, they are Rock Nation, Prohibition Legal, Adair Castle, and Duly Resolved. By the way, my bankroll has now slipped back to $129, started at $200. For all the racing updates, visit Costa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. Time now for the RICOM Wrap, sports news that's close to home. Yes, indeed. With COVID playing havoc with our pro sports leagues, let me say this. When the smoke clears this spring, I'm predicting that the Maple Leafs will be poised for a very deep playoff run. I know we said it before, but this time it's going to be different. The club is talented and tougher than any Leafs team that we've seen in quite some time. Jack Campbell, well, folks, he is the real deal. Things are looking up for the Raptors despite the COVID injury, COVID and the injuries. Uh, OG Ananobi returned after missing 13 games, didn't miss a beat. Every club is going to get whacked by COVID to a degree, folks. The Raps should have no trouble getting a play-in spot. And I keep saying it, this is a team that can and will surprise us come playoff time. Well, the Toronto Rocks seem to be enjoying the new digs. They improved to a perfect 2-0 at first Ontario Place in Hamilton with a come-from-behind effort over the Philadelphia Wings. Brandon Slate capped off a nice three-way passing play. And Rob Hellyer rifled home his second of three goals as the Rock rallied for a 12-9 victory. Hellyer also added three assists. They are now 2-1 overall. They'll be in Buffalo on January 8th. The next home date is January 15th against Halifax. Right Arthur Beer people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. Smart Tech Solutions, the latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future and a carbon-free economy. And congratulations to Arthur B. Slanoff, who improved to a perfect 9-0. The Toronto lightweight is looking good. We close with a look at the folks that who make the show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. Uh, we highly recommend them all. A reminder that the show is available on Spotify, iTunes, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcast, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV. Also, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Check out all the shows, all the last recent shows. Older shows, check them all out. They're all available on YouTube. Like and subscribe. Thanks once again to Sean Thornton, Thornton for being on the show. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when we look at mental health and addiction in pro sports. And we'll see you then. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. 
Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public, and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more. Hi, I'm Joe Tilly, and I want to tell you about the painting pros. Patrick and his crew recently came into my home, and they painted the walls, they added some color, it's fantastic, and I can't be more satisfied with the work they did. That crew is tremendous, they were professional, they were courteous, they were respectful, and they did a fantastic job. Look at that, look at that color. I just can't stress enough how satisfied we truly are with Patrick and his crew. For all your painting needs, go to the pros. You know, if I'm going to a public place or visiting a friend, I like to be safe and stylish. That's why I put on my Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show mask. If you want to support the show, pick up a mask, click on the link below. Mm -hmm.